You ready to look at the Word of God together? Well, let me start off by, by telling you something. A man, I was going to say a friend of mine, but not really a friend, an acquaintance, a guy named Tom Clegg, who is a pastor who pastored a mega church on the East Coast. He's done everything in the church world. Mega church, like I'm talking like 10,000 member church. Um, got tired of the church world, basically, of the organized church world, and kind of diverted his entire life into developing home churches, which is kind of funny because the home churches become home church networks, and then they turn into churches, and because he's a very effective leader, and they grow and they turn into thousands of people, and he ends up pastoring a church every time. And uh, then he goes to another city and does it again. So he's not anti-church. But Tom Clegg wrote a book maybe, maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, um, that he said that for a person to find contentment in their life, this guy's a PhD, you know, he's a smart guy, he said, and this is his, his, his belief, and it wasn't just based on his opinion. It's based on research and theology and, and everything else, sociology. He said that, in his opinion, for a person to have contentment in their life, there's three things that they have to have. Now, if you could find out there's three things you have to have to find contentment, I think it would be pretty important to know what those three things are, right? He says these are the three things are. The first thing he says, he calls it transcendence, is having a right relationship with God. We kind, of, we kind of get that here, where we understand we're created in the image of God, and he, one of the things he created us to do is live with him, and to worship him, and to, and to walk with him daily, that it's not about religion. You know, I was thinking this morning about, I was just talking to Pastor Paul before church, and kind of made us almost both late. We were talking about, about the danger of religion, that people just go to church, and that, that we're talking about a, a person not here that, that I was that I'm familiar with who invested their life into a particular ministry in a church and it was always about that ministry and it was never about Jesus and I, I, I watched the person it was that ministry and it wasn't about Jesus and when they stopped doing the ministry their life kind of fell apart and it had nothing to do with even the church anymore hardly because it was all about that ministry that's not what Tom Clegg was talking about Tom Clegg is talking about having a real relationship with God. So he said the first thing you need to have contentment in life is a real relationship with God. Now sometimes in the church world they'd say, that's all you need. Matter of fact, there's a song we used to sing. He is all I need. You, know, you are all I need. You know a song? Jesus, you're all I need. And a professor in college would always say, that song is absolutely theologically incorrect. He says, you don't just need Jesus. He said, we do need Jesus as number one in our lives, but that's not all we need. To find contentment, Clegg says, yes, you need God, a right relationship with God, transcendence. The second thing he says you need is you need good relationships with other people. You need to be rightly connected to other people. You have to have friends and family. Maybe you're, in a, you're from a family structure that is really messed up and you don't really have a lot of family friends, and that's pretty common. Um, or you've got a great family, but you have family and friends. And, and one of the most wonderful places to find friends is in the church world. Matter of fact, some of you may have saw posted on Facebook this weekend um, the connect group, the gals from our connect group. And if you're not in a connect group, you're missing it because this is what it's about. So the ladies from our connect group all went to Door County this weekend. They left us guys behind and they all went to Door County. Um, for Some went Thursday, some because of work, went Friday afternoon, and then they stayed through, through Saturday night and they, um, they came home last night. So, so, so Friday night and came home Saturday evening. And they had a wonderful time. They walked through the leaves and they went to shops and that probably sold antiques and I'm glad I wasn't along. And candles. I guarantee you they went to a candle. Did you go to a candle shop? You almost almost bought several candles. I mean, you didn't. Candles. Ladies love candles. 
But you need good friends. Tom Clegg says you need a relationship with God. You need good friends. Jesus is not all you need. Jesus created us to live in a world with people. And good relationships with people, and I'm saying good relationships can be hard to manage, but good relationships are worth the effort. So he says you need good relationships with people. You need God. And the third thing you need, he said, to find contentment in this world is you need a reason to get out of bed in the morning. In other words, you need a purpose. And a purpose beyond God and a purpose beyond just good relationships. He's saying that you need a purpose, something meaningful to put your energies into. And one of the fallacies we have in this in our culture today is that people hit this certain magical age, and the magic age is tied to income, and therefore I have enough income, I might not have to work the rest of my life. And what that so many do at that point, they say, now I'm free, and they disconnect from anything meaningful. They disconnect from church. They disconnect. Matter of fact, um, talked to a pastor recently in this community, and I said, I said, uh, tell me about your church. And the one conclusion is, life is when when people hit empty nest, they're gone from church. So they might still send a check in, but they're gone from church. They visit grandkids. And they miss out on being part of something that God created you to be part of. That's the local church, because the local church is the part where one of the parts you find genuine meaning in your life. But his point was, and Clegg wasn't talking necessarily just about the church world, but he's saying you have to have something meaningful that's eternal to put your energy into. It gets you, you know how, how when you're on vacation for a long time, you feel like, why even get out of bed? Unless you're one of these people that are on vacation, you're always running to do something. But a lot of people are just like, why even get up in the morning? And so to live a whole life of why get up in the morning, and you can go to work every day and live a life of why get up in the morning because you feel what you do is, meaning, is meaningless. To understand and find out what did God create me to do that's meaningful and has a purpose in my life. So Clegg says you need a relationship with God, you need good relationships with others, and you need a reason to get out of bed in the morning. You need a purpose. Well, I was thinking about that book. I haven't read that book in at least 10 years. And it's always interesting to me how the Holy Spirit, when you're doing something, the Holy Spirit, what happens when you put things into the well of your life, the Holy Spirit, whenever he wants, can draw them out. It says one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to bring to your remembrance that which you've learned. So the more you learn, the deeper your well. And so the Holy Spirit just brought to my mind that book, and I hadn't thought of it in at least 10 years. It came to mind because I was preparing this sermon in Ephesians. Um, in particular, I thought about because that last point, purpose, having a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And the reason I thought about this is because that's really what the Apostle Paul is getting at in the verse that we're going to look at today in Ephesians. It's the purpose or the reason that God is rescuing us and is making and has made us his followers, that he has saved us for a purpose, that he is something for you to do. And there's something beyond loving and enjoying him, which is the first thing that we're created to do. So we're created to be in relationship with him, but it's going to say in the text that Paul's trying to get at, yeah, that's true, but there's something else that God has created each of us to do something. I want to remind you of something because it's always dangerous when you go verse by verse through a section of scripture that you forget what came before. Because I don't want to, I I need it to put in context so we don't become just works orientated. So let's remember that this verse follows um, all those wonderful verses that we just looked at to describe how we come to become Christians. We found out over the last couple of weeks that it's all by grace, that it's all about um, about, um, whatever we do for the glory of God, that it's in no way tied to our energy or our earning or our deserving it. Matter of fact, the classic verse we looked at last week was, for by grace 
You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man can boast. So those are the, that's the verse just before. And then we come to verse 10, the verse that we're going to look at today. Let's read that. Grab your Bible, Ephesians 2, verse 10. Got your Bible? Good. Ephesians 2, verse 10. One verse. For we are, remember this is coming on, the reason, after him saying you're saved by grace, not of works, so no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Look at that. For we are, we're saved by grace. Why? For or because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Verse 10, Paul focuses on our purpose, the reason for getting out of bed in the morning. In a nutshell, verse 10, or this whole section kind of goes like this. It says, God has saved you by grace, right? And as he saved us, we need to understand that we are his workmanship, going to explain what that means. And as such, you have been created to do good works or good deeds, which God has already prepared in advance for you to do. That's interesting. He says it's already been prepared. He has a plan already in place. He's created you because he has something in mind for you to do. So you've been created by God. Your purpose is to do good works. Now, before we get to, to that in more detail, talking about the good works that we have to do, let's look at how Paul describes Christian people in this text. It's very important. Because it sheds needed light upon what it means to do the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. There's a connection. He doesn't say you have to do good works. He describes us in a certain way, and that description is tied to what we then later do. Look at Paul's description here of Christianity, of Christians. He says, we are his workmanship. What's that mean? There's something important here. Because it's trying to say that we we are created by God. We are his handiwork. We are the handiwork, the workmanship of the master creator. You see, the Greek word here um, for workmanship is the same word that we get our word poem from. What's a poem? A poem is a literary work of art. That's what, right, they're trying to paint a picture basically with words, right? A poem is a literary work of art. So what this means, it literally means, this word, that which has been made by an artisan. So like a poem is made, it's written by the author, so we are made, designed, created by God. It expresses that there is a master artist at work creating something. That's why if you read the, if the I, I read the New American Standard Version, but if you need read the New Living Translation, which I know a lot of you read, one of my favorite translations, It translates the word workmanship. It doesn't say workmanship in your text. It says you are created, you are God's masterpiece. That's what the intention of that word is here. It's the idea that God is the master artist. He's a craftsman, and he is creating a work of art, and that work of art is called you. It's why the great theologian F.F. Bruce translates this verse. He says we are his work of art, his masterpiece. And here's Paul's point. Each and every Christian 
is an individual and a unique work of art, a masterpiece, that is being created by God himself. That God's the one, we found the preceding verses, God's the one who chose you, God's the one who saves you, God's the one who's forgiving you, and now God is the one who is forming you, who is shaping you, that you are a masterpiece. You know what? Tell the person next to you, God thinks you're a masterpiece. A lot of you don't think of yourselves like that. This is the point God is trying to get at. You and I are masterpieces. We are beautiful works of art. And here Paul is using a common biblical image to make a point about how God works in us. He says you are a unique, beautiful creation of God. And he's using the idea, the imagery that's used throughout Scripture of God being an artisan. It's the same imagery that Isaiah and Jeremiah and even, even Paul in a different place in the book of Romans use to try to explain God as a master artisan where he's forming us. And in all of those references where they're trying to create God or depict God as a great artisan, in those references generally the imagery that is used is the imagery of a potter making pottery. So go to the potter's house, it says, Right? And watch what he's doing. It's talking about God working in your life. And that's the idea here of God being an artisan. That he's an artisan. He's a craftsman. He's a potter in essence. And he's working on you. This idea that each of us are like a lump of clay in the master potter's hands. And that he is forming us into something beautiful. He's forming us into something beautiful as individuals. And this is why God selects us individually and places us in local bodies called churches. He is corporately creating the church to be something beautiful as he puts the various things to pieces together. He's forming us into something with a purpose. Now before we understand the purpose, I keep putting it off for a reason. We're going to get to this table in a little while. Before we get to the exact purpose, being formed with this purpose, let's think about how God forms us because it's very important. Because how can you participate in it unless you understand what God's up to? And maybe even before we think about how God forms us, let's think about the fact that God is forming us. I don't even think we recognize that a lot of times. See, I think we tend to misunderstand this whole idea. I think we tend to misunderstand a very basic truth about God. I think we tend to view God as very passive. I think we have this image in our head that God is passive. Our idea tends to be that God is sitting on a throne in heaven... In your mind, he might have a big white beard. And instead of a, and in his hand, he's got a thunderbolt or a lightning bolt. Not a, how would you have a thunderbolt? A lightning bolt. And our idea is that he's sitting in heaven doing who knows what. He's kind of sitting there. And he's just waiting for us to approach him. And we say, oh, we can boldly go before the throne of grace. So he's sitting on his throne. He's waiting for us as his followers to come. So if I go to God in prayer, and that's what approaching God is all about, that as I talk to him, he will listen. And he will think about what I have to say to him. And he will, in his divine wisdom, answer me. And hopefully, the answer will be a way that he will bless me. I think for most of us, that's the way we think about God. We tend to think that the real activity in the whole process is on our part. That God has this, maybe this great treasure trove in his house of all things he wants to do for his children. He has these great gifts of the Holy Spirit that he's desiring to give. And he's just waiting until we do something about it and ask, and then he responds. That he's the one who's passive, and 
We're the ones who are active. Be honest with yourself. Isn't that kind of how we generally think about God? I think it is. I think it's a pretty true perception of how we generally think about God. Well, friends, that's not how the Bible describes it. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest things we have to go through, processes we have to go through in our life, is to, re- or to assess the narratives we believe about God and see if they line up with Scripture. I think we generally have an idea that God's passive sitting in heaven and we're the active ones. But that's not how the Bible describes God at all. In fact, the Bible, hold your Bible up if you have one, just for a second. It could be your iPhone. That Bible is simply a record of God's activity. You can put them down. I forget to tell you to put them down. Your arm's going to get cut. That Bible itself is simply a record of God's activity. That's what it is. You open it up and you read what happens. In the beginning, God created. God made man. God made the world. Man sinned in the world God created. God went after him. God called Abraham. God created the kings. God called the prophets. God gave the law. God gave instructions for the tabernacle and the temple. God sent his son Jesus. God called Paul on the road to Damascus. God, 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 God. It's all just a a recording of God's activity from beginning to end. See, God, the point is this, God is the workman. God is the artisan, and we are the project. We are the workmanship. We are his creations, his masterpieces. God is actively working in you even right now. Now then. With that in mind, let's think about how the master artist informs and creates us. How does the potter mold us into a masterpiece? I know what he doesn't do. He doesn't get a potter's wheel, and I wanted a potter's wheel for today, and I asked around to see if anybody had a potter's wheel, and I couldn't find one. But he doesn't literally put us on a potter's wheel and spin us really fast and knock off all the, dark, all the sharp edges and, and get us. He doesn't, he doesn't pound us like a lump of clay. So if he doesn't do that, what does he do? Well, this is what we know. This is how he forms us, how he creates us in the masterpieces. First of all, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, I believe, through three main tools. Tools like a potter would use to form a vase. A potter would use a knife to cut the clay, would use a potter's wheel to spin to form the clay, and would use a kiln to to fire whatever he, and harden whatever he creates. And as a potter would use tools, God uses tools, and I think he primarily uses three tools, maybe more, but three primary tools that he uses to shape us. The first tool that God uses is his word. It's scripture. That's why I said we have to compare what we believe to what God says in his word. In in Jesus' high priestly prayer, see, near the end of Jesus' life, it records in the Gospel of John, John chapter 17, it records the prayer that he's praying to the Father just before he's going to suffer and die and rise from the grave. It's a great, it's an an incredible thing. Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 And he's praying in that prayer, at this point of the prayer, he's praying for his disciples and all the disciples, it says, that would follow. So that's you and me. He's praying for us. We can look at John 17 and see how Jesus prays for me and for you. And this is the part of his prayer that he prays for you and for me. He says, Father, he's talking to the Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify means to cause us to mature, to become like Jesus in character and in action. 
what Jesus is praying there, he's saying God uses his word, sanctify them in truth or with truth. Your word is truth, so sanctify them with the tool of your word. God uses his word to shape us. As we engage the word of God, it confronts us, it encourages us, it challenges us to change, um, it challenges us to get better, it challenges us to be, to be obedient, it challenges us to be different. Friends, God's word is not words on a page. It's not the same. When you read this book, it's not the same as picking up your self-help book. It's not the same as getting somebody's advice. God's word, according to the word, is a living instrument, like the instrument in the potter's hand, that the Holy Spirit uses to form you, to create you. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired various people over literally thousands of years to write down his word, because the word of God shapes us. It reveals the goals we're supposed to aim at. It steers us clear of the pitfalls that, that, that could be to our genuine faith. It reveals to us the character of God through Jesus, his son, thus showing us the, the character that should be developing in us so that we, have a, that we have a pattern to follow. It's all in God's word. And friends, this is why the enemy of your soul, Satan, Who's real, friends? We're going to get to a little further in Ephesians to find out there is a real enemy. The enemy of your soul will do anything he can to keep you from God's word. Sure, talk about spiritual things. Watch the talk show host. Talk about, oh, spirituality. But it's not biblical spirituality. It's just feel-good spirituality. You know, let everyone give their opinions. There's nothing that makes me more crazy when people come in and I talk to them and they go, well, God, pastor, well, I think. I've said at least a hundred times in my life in that setting, try to be kind, I really don't care what you think. What does God say? Because that's what matters. It's a shaping tool. He's trying to shape us. He's trying to say, I love you so much, I want to create in you, I want to create something beautiful out of you. And one of the tools I'm going to use is probably like the knife in the potter's hand. He's cutting the lump with it. It's the word of God. The enemy will do anything he can to distract you from reading the word of God. He'll say, you know what? Talk about spirituality, give your, give your opinions, but don't really study and read God's word. Because you know why? It'll change you. It will convict you. It will, in, it will encourage you to keep growing. It'll shape you. I think that's why our culture, I think the, the force behind our culture with the, the one-minute devotion, your word for the day. Now, there's nothing wrong with having your word for the day, as long as it's just a very teeny part of your interaction with the Word of God. But we've limited to that. That's all it is. 30 seconds with Jesus. I'm going to tell you something, friends. The same way I can't take this verse and isolate it from the rest of Scripture, you can't just read your three verses of the day and really have any clue what it's talking about. We read the Word in its totality to allow the Spirit of God to shape us and mold us. You know, that's that's why God gave His Word. So the first tool in the Holy Spirit's hands, in this great potter's workshop, is the Word of God. The second one is this. And this one is interesting, but it's straight out of Scriptures, and it may surprise you. And interestingly, there's no way that this was planned for me to speak about on this day. But the second tool is this, ministers. That's the biblical second tool that God uses to shape you. Turn in your Bible a few pages to the chapter 4 of Ephesians. One page over. 
Look at Ephesians. This is the foundation of my life. Every staff member gets sick of me talking to them about this because it's all I talk about from the day I, the day I went, was into ministry. They get sick of hearing it because I remind them over and over and over and over because I remind myself over and over and over and over what God says in his word right here about ministers. Ephesians 4, chapter 11 through 13. Listen to what it says. And he, is, your, is he capitalized there? It's not talking about the Apostle Paul gave, right? Who's it talking about? Who's he? God. Say God. God. Does it say the Assemblies of God? No. Does it say the Methodists or the Catholics or the Presbyterians? No. It says God. And he, God, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. And this is why he did it. For the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? You are. Some of us have theology that it means super, super wonderful Christian. That's not at all what it means. That's not never, it's never how the scriptures use it. A saint is a person who's born again in Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus as Savior, you're a saint. For the equipping of the saints or the church people, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and to the mature man, the informed, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, you become a mature man when you look like Jesus. Do you understand what he's saying here? you see what's happening? In this vast workshop where God is shaping and molding people, he has these tools. And one of the most important tools in his hand is the minister that he calls. Now, I've never had a minister I've ever known, including myself, whoever relishes that that part of the job. To say, I'm really used by God to shape people. What gives me a right to believe that I have anything to give? I don't. I'm selected by God to do what I do for the betterment of the body. And it's, not, it's never about me. It's never about my abilities. My, my, it's never about me. It's only about the Holy Spirit. There's no room for arrogance. It's always by grace. And guess what? Myself, with most ever pastors, always say, couldn't you please choose somebody else? I'm telling you, it's the truth. Couldn't you please ask somebody else? I'd rather be the deacon. That's what we all say. God uses ministers. He says apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers being used in God's hands to mold and shape his people, the saints. Isn't that exactly what it says here? It says he gives ministers for the equipping of the saints for works of service to teach them how to do the ministry that has to be done through the local church. How long? Until all attain to the unity of the faith. We're not there yet. That we all have knowledge of the Son of God and we're becoming mature like Jesus. That's the job of the ministers. That's the molding, shaping process. But it's not the minister's job. It's God's job. And the ministers are just one of the tools God uses to accomplish that. Friends, this is the New Testament idea of the molding process of Christianity. What the New Testament process of of Christianity is not, it's not a lone ranger Christian sitting at home on a Sunday morning reading his verse for the day and drinking his cup of coffee, which is becoming the cultural norm. And unfortunately, it's destroying the people who do it, and it's destroying God's ability to create the church that he's designed 
to change the world. And the devil's laughing the whole time it happens. That's not God's plan, but rather, all of God's, ma- God's plan is all of God's masterpieces. Remember, who are the masterpieces? You and me, because somebody shapes me too. All of God's masterpieces being formed and shaped by the instruments of God that God himself has selected. He selected his word. He selects ministers. In bringing what? He says, bringing unity and maturity and growth to the individuals, shaping them into masterpieces. Friends, that's God's plan. He uses the word. He uses ministers. And there's one more tool that I see the Holy Spirit uses from God's word when he's creating his masterpieces. He's creating you and me. He uses circumstances and discipline. And I'm going to use those kind of as together. Circumstances and discipline. Scripture says this, and it's something we don't like about Scripture because we don't like to be corrected. I don't, I don't like to be corrected. Anybody here like to be corrected? No. Scripture says this. Whom the Lord loves. You love, you love to be loved by God? Whom the Lord loves. He loves you, right? Smile with me. He loves me. Think about it. Whom the Lord loves. Oh, he loves me. He disciplines. The scripture says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. God loves us so much that he sees what we will be. Remember, when an artist starts off to make a beautiful project, they know what they're going to create. Maybe they're going to create, you know, a, a picture of a beautiful landscape. They're looking at the landscape. They're going to create, create a, a picture of a, of a beautiful woman. They're looking at a woman model. And they say, I'm starting with nothing, and I'm making that. See, God knows what he's making you into. He loves you so much, and he knows what you will be. He's the master potter, and he knows what he is creating in you. But sometimes, because we lack understanding, and we do because we don't know the future, I don't know what God's creating me to be. Because we are limited in our understanding. We might, might not like what he seems to be forming us into because I thought I wanted to go that way and be that, and I feel you're forming me this way and making me this way, and I don't like it, God. Because he's saying some things need to change for my own good and for your own good. And so you know what we do? We either resist or we flat out rebel. Kind of like Jonah. We just run. Fill our lives with something else. In his love knowing his future for us is so much better than we could ever imagine. He will discipline us. He will correct us. He will redirect us. And I think that's the heart of discipline. He's redirecting us. Sometimes that can come through circumstances in our lives that that we don't like and things that we don't want. Failures and disappointments and even physical issues in our lives, things that get our attention and change our direction. Now, I don't believe that all or even most of the failures or disappointments or physical issues are the discipline of the Lord. But here's the point. They might be. So we must always be open to the voice of the Holy Spirit in every situation asking these questions. God, are you trying to get my attention through this situation? God, are you trying to change my direction? that we're looking at the circumstances, we're looking at the issues and say, just maybe this is the plan of God to change me. So friends, God uses scripture. He uses ministers. He uses discipline 
as tools in the Holy Spirit's hand to mold us and shape us into his masterpieces. But why? For what purpose? And this is the heart of the sermon. The last little short point at the end. To hang us on the wall or put us on a shelf? Oh, look at the beautiful Mona Lisa I just created. Is that why he did it? No. Ephesians 2 tells us the answer. God is shaping you as an individual and us as a church body to do good works. We are, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 10, we are his workmanship masterpiece created in Christ for good works. He created us, friends, to extend his love and his goodness into this world. For some of you, he has shaped you with a mind for medicine so you can bring healing to the sick. For some of you, you are being shaped with abilities in business for a purpose so that you will have great resources to expand God's work. You're his masterpiece. It's his work. For some of you, you are being shaped as great listeners so you can comfort those in need. You know what, for some of you, you've been created with incredible abilities to grow gardens and beautiful things, and you love yard work. You like to weed because God's using you to make the world beautiful. There are, these, there are as many shapes that he makes us into as there are needs that need to be met. In church, your fulfillment, Tom Clegg, go back to the beginning. Your fulfillment comes through the Holy Spirit ministering through you according to the unique masterpiece that you are becoming. Friends, you are unique. Like, like all of these items are unique. All things made by, the, by a potter, they're all made out of ceramic. They probably weren't turned on a wheel, but some of them might have been, I'm not sure. But they're pottery. A picture, a picture. That holds water, holds liquid, that can be poured out to bring refreshment when you're thirsty. A mug, Suzanne's mug, Starbucks mug. No, a mug she actually bought for one of the boys, matching mugs at home actually, for Christmas one year with hot chocolate in them that the boys had. A mug to give you something warm to drink, to comfort you in a cold time in your life. A serving dish that brings sustenance to you at the table. It it holds the the meat and potatoes and you you bring it to the table and and it gives you strength and it gives you pleasure. If you're like me, I like to eat. The serving dish comes, I'm happy. I'm like, keep the cake, give me meat. That's the way I'm wired. A serving dish, I want the meat and the potatoes. I want all the gravy on it. It comes in the serving dish. It gives me strength, it gives me joy, it gives me pleasure. And God, you know what? God created you with taste buds so that you'll like it. All these people, I saw a great thing on Facebook the other day, gluten-free, fat-free, all these things, free, 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 free food, and it was a picture of a plate with ice cubes on it. Keep your ice cubes. I want meat and potatoes. And I want it in a serving dish. And the last one, a candy dish. A candy dish. Candy corn. Candy card brings a smile to my face. This was full at one time. It's almost empty now. Hey, Jacob, you like candy corn? You guys want some candy corn? 
That's really good. Mark, you want to go with It had more in it, but I found out that, that my Josh got into it this morning when it was sitting up here. Suzanne walked in the house the other day. She said, where's my, where's my pumpkin candy dish from the kitchen table? I said, it's on a table at, at church. And I was making a joke about that, and Pastor Paul said, Chris knows the same thing. Where's my whatever? I said, church. All these items. A candy dish. We were talking full of candy corn. They make someone smile. All of these various types of pottery are unique in order to do certain types of good deeds. So all of you are unique to do good works for God. Extending His love and expanding His kingdom, that's what good works are. You were created to just make a paycheck. You're created to make the paycheck so that you can do good works. You weren't created to just get up in the morning. You were created to get up in the morning for something God has prepared in advance so you can do the good works. Mom, you can do good, the good works of raising your children for Jesus. There's not a better good work on the planet. We are masterpieces meant to fulfill the master's mission in unique and various ways according to our own uniqueness. God hasn't called you up here to preach, most of you, maybe somewhere else. But guess what? We only need one preacher. But we need a whole bunch. We need other people to do all kinds of other things. And you're all made unique. That's God's design. You are created unique to do God, good works that no one else can do like you can do and do where you are at. I don't go where you go. You don't go where I go. You are a masterpiece. Church for years, this section of scripture we've been in here right now in Ephesians 2, um, 8, 9, 10, it's caused all kinds of controversy in the church world. Pitting good works against grace. Arguments by theologians. How are we saved? Good works, grace. It's all grace. So you have to still grab onto the rope. All these arguments. People arguing about the roles of each. Friends, it's clear. We have been saved by grace and are being shaped into masterpieces so that we can accomplish the good works that God has already determined to be done. The, ter- the purpose for being saved by grace is to do the good works that reveal the reality of God's goodness through his people. No conflict. We are simply to live in the world and with our lives as Jesus did. Lives of love and good deeds. That's what Jesus did. Not to earn our salvation. You can't do that. Think, oh, if I do enough good works, God will love me. Good will always be bad. You can't do it. You can't earn it. It's a gift. But why do we do it? To fulfill our purpose as the masterpieces of God. And only then will you find fulfillment in your life. You can run around till you die trying to find happiness in everything you do. But the only way you're going to find fulfillment in God is to be the candy dish that you were created to be. Fulfillment comes through doing the good works that God created you uniquely to do as you rest and trust in his grace. Amen? Stand with me this morning. I'm going to try to pray and swallow these candy corn first.
Let's pray together. Father, you are so incredibly good to us. God, what an incredible picture you've painted for us in this place. We are masterpieces. God, I know there's people in this place that don't believe that for a minute. They believe they're failures. The world's told them they're failures. They believe that their parents said there's nothing they can do good. A spouse has told them they're no good. But Lord, the only voice that matters is yours. You say we are your masterpieces. You're the artist. You're the artist. And you are creating us for goodness. Creating us beautiful and unique. And Holy Spirit, I would ask, because it's all about the work of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask right now, as we're standing and our hearts are open, matter of fact, just kind of turn your palms up in a gesture of openness to the Lord. Holy Spirit, I would pray right now that every person in this place would understand that you love them, that you that you're, you're calling them by name if, if they don't know you yet you're calling them and they are masterpieces in your eyes that the world's a liar the devil's a liar that every one of us no matter who we are what giftings we have we're masterpieces in your eyes and you are shaping us right now and God I pray that right now those who don't believe that would begin to just receive that gift of revelation in their heart. They would know that they're masterpieces. Father, thank you that you are creating us. And Lord, just maybe as we've been together this morning, as we're going through your word, that something has been triggered in our heart. Some way that you're shaping us, something from your word, that cutting knife, that it's also a balm of healing, but that word of God is, is doing something. It's, it's challenging us. It's cutting something off or shaping us in the right way. Maybe God, just maybe some word that I've spoken today as a minister of the gospel has in some way inspired or corrected or, or revealed something. Just maybe, God, we're in a spot in our life where we're saying, how come... Life just doesn't seem right. It's not fair. We could recognize it just maybe in that. You're trying to correct us or redirect us. But God, I know this. I'm incapable of helping anybody see that. Because you're God. And you're the Spirit. So I pray right now, God, that you would give revelation to your children. God, we would be bold enough to say yes bold enough to say yes to you we would not jump off the potter's wheel that we would live our lives on the potter's wheel 
We'd not let the devil win by distracting us. We'd sit on that potter's wheel and we'd let you continue to make us into something beautiful and that God, every person in this place, would find true contentment in their life. And one of the things would be because they have something purposeful, something bigger than themselves, to put their energies into. God, thank you for the, the power of your word that shows us that's what's required. I ask God that you just help us to walk in this truth that God we would continue to be molded and shaped that God then you'd begin to take us whatever you've made us into and we'd just be like you in the world living lives of grace love and good works we'd go around teaching and healing caring meeting needs just to reveal your goodness in this world God help your church now before we close we're standing in this we're standing in this place in a in in a group but actually in a private moment one of our heads are bowed our eyes are closed in, in purposeful prayer you're in this place today. You say, Pastor Mark, I've not come to that first point yet of, of finding happiness, which comes from a real relationship with God. What I really do know, as hard as it is, I know it's for me. I'm not sure what holds me back. Fear or past situations, I'm not sure what holds me back, but today just in the depth of my heart I can feel some tugging and that tugging is the Holy Spirit and today I want to I want to take the chance I want to ask Jesus to come into my life that's you this morning no one's looking around I simply want to give you an opportunity to respond so I simply ask you this I'm not going to call you out I'm not going to embarrass you but I need you to take an action simply say this, Pastor Mark, I want to receive Christ in my life. That's you. I want you just to slip up your hand. No one's looking around. I just want to give you one moment. Just, I'm going to tell you to put it down as soon as I see it. Slip up your hand a little bit so I can see it. I'm going to tell you to put it right back down. Just one second. Okay. Anybody else? I just have a sense that I'm supposed to just wait for one moment. I usually don't wait at all. So I, I need to. Let's pray together this morning. And maybe even if you say, you know what, I don't even have the strength right now to raise up my hand, but I want to pray. We're going to join these that have raised their hands this morning, and we're going to pray together. Nothing magical about our words. We're simply going to ask Christ to come into our lives. He's the one, remember, He's the one who's doing it already. We're just responding to His call. So let's, let's pray with these words. I'm going to invite the whole church to pray along. Let's pray this way. Dear Jesus, I need you. And today, I open up my life to you. Come into my life. Make me brand new. Rescue me. From this day forward, I want to live with you. Show me what that means. Make me brand new. 
forgive me of all the junk of my life and give me a brand new start. So on this day, Jesus, I welcome you in my life. You're the one calling me. And I'm just saying yes. So today, Lord, I want to be prayed that prayer today, the Bible says there's a party going on in heaven. A party because your life matters to God and He is shaping you. He wants to shape you into His masterpiece. He's the one who calls you and He loves you. If you don't have a church home, let us help you be the parts that, of God's work of, work of shaping. Help teach you your word. Help ministers help you. Help us help you see how maybe God's taking you on a journey and there's discipline going on. Friends, God loves you. And it's so good that he's with us today. Amen.